As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He was called Cold. That was the name of What's going on up there could be the most important event in history. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I said, I hope this is as close to hell. Hello and welcome to the Tales from the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Bob, here with my co-host, Brittany. Hey guys, what's up? And thanks for joining us for United Strangeness of America, the series where we travel across the United States and bring you stories of high strangeness. This week, we're diving into North Carolina, the Tar Heel State. I don't know what a Tar Heel is. I think it's a ram of some sort. I'll explain. Well, Brittany, I don't know if you know this, but uh, it's illegal for grandmas to get intoxicated at bingo night. And it's also illegal to practice as a professional psychic or fortune teller, but amateurs who work for donations are okay. I bet my Nana is probably the sole reason why that, why that rule was made. How many people are getting drunk at bingo night? They're oh like, my. you know what? We got to, we got we to gotta just put a stop to this. this oh is my God. Too bad. Bingo night is the casino for old ladies. All right. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that right now. Look, there are, there are some big numbers and some big money won at bingo nights. I've been to some pretty big bingo holes in my time, but let me explain to you Tar Heel real quick before yes, we please. move on. So uh, just so everyone is aware, I'm from North Carolina and I am going to be hurting some feelings this episode because Duke is puke. Tar Heel is our basketball team for UNC. Okay. Duke mayonnaise and Duke with the basketball team are both puke. If you consume either one of them. Can you explain the Duke mayonnaise thing? Because that one of the first things you told me when we got together, because, you know, we were doing the 
typical couple, where do you like to eat? What's your favorite guilty pleasure to eat at home? What are your snacks? And one of the first things you said was Duke is puke. And I'm like, what? I don't know who that is. I don't live in the same state as you. Who is Duke? Is that your neighbor, an ex-boyfriend? No, the mayonnaise. And I was like, you are oddly passionate about this mayonnaise. And, and then it continued to come up for the past like four to five years we've been together and it's gotten to a point where I'm pretty sure we are going to get sued by Duke mayonnaise for slander <laughs> at some point. So can you please explain this? We hate Duke mayonnaise thing. It just tastes wrong. It don't taste like what mayonnaise should taste like. But I will tell you that so there's a feud between people who like to eat Duke mayonnaise and people who don't. But we can okay. all join together and say everyone hates Miracle Whip. That's like the ultimate enemy. That's the thing is up here. That's all you, that's, that's all disgusting. people buy is Miracle Whip. That's disgusting. I, I had never heard of Duke mayonnaise. I thought, I thought Miracle Whip was the mayonnaise and that was it. There was no other types. Duke is puke. Bingo nights are huge. I'm pretty sure my Nana is the reason why that, that law was made. Let's move on. Let's move on. So uh, for those of you who might be new here, Brittany, why don't you explain what this series actually is? Absolutely. So with this series, we'll be visiting each state to find localized stories of high strangeness in three categories. UFO, cryptid, and paranormal. By the end of this series, we want to be able to connect events and creatures from all across the country. Now, that's, I couldn't have said that better myself, but how do folks get involved? This is a very like viewer driven series where ultimately the listeners at home decide what we cover and where we cover the next week. Absolutely. So if you go to Facebook and you join the Tales from the Dark group, we actually have a weekly vote for our listeners to decide the next state that y'all want to hear us cover. Okay. So the voting starts on Fridays and ends on Sunday night. And on Monday, we actually have a post where you guys can put your own personal stories or you can put your favorite stories from that area. Yeah, like local legends, urban legends, that sort of stuff. Things right? you've heard if you're from there, things like that. Perfect. So let me ask you, I don't remember what it was like when we covered Ohio because that was the first state we did. And I, I didn't, in my mind, I'm like, we're going to do Ohio last. I'm calling it now. Oh my goodness, I can't. But it kind of forgot that like 90% of our listeners are from the state of Ohio. Then the rest are from Australia and UK for some reason. That's a weird we, we have a weird demographic. I don't, know, I don't know how we targeted who we did, but I'm glad we did. Going into this episode, are you nervous with it being your home state? We talked about North Carolina, the magic of the South, the mountains, so much in this, in this series. It's kind of become like what we're known for. Are there any nerves to like overperform in this episode? Oh, no, I'm on one. I'm ready to hurt some feelings from people who are from North Carolina. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about when we go over this. So you lived in North Carolina until you were... 19, 20 years old, something like that. Yeah. Something around there. So let me ask you, because this is, this has been a question that I've been waiting to ask you. How is it different from Ohio? Because we, it was interesting when we got together, we had a lot of discussions about like, you know, rednecks and country culture and that sort of thing. And then you, I kept kind of telling you, like, we have all that here. We have this here. We have, you tell me, you know, we're going out mud and we're doing this or the rednecks are doing this. We're out there in the ponds, you know, trying to catch crawdads. Okay. We do that every day. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Is North Carolina just Ohio in disguise without the mountains? So I know a lot of people hate Ohio and, you know, it's understandable. Have a great day. You can only hate Ohio if you are from here or live here. If you hate Ohio and you and you talk smack out of there, you're going to get smacked. <laughs> We're throwing hands. It's a weird, like, proudness of the Buckeye State. No. So a lot of times people from North Carolina, my area especially, would call everyone above like West Virginia Yankees. Okay. I don't think I ever called you a Yankee. I might've honestly, I, I think early on in the league of legends days. Oh yeah. You, when you, I was talking calling, mad yeah, snack, you were calling me a Yankee, 
But since I've lived in Ohio, I mean, you're exactly right. You guys are rednecks. The only thing you guys don't have down pat is the Southern hospitality and the food. <laughs> That's okay. The food I will give you. We have the Southern hospitality. It's just masked. With, with ice and crappy weather. The thing is, you live through Ohio winters for like six years or so. Actually, I'd say three years. After your third Ohio winter, this like weird outer shell starts to form over your heart. <laughs> like and, the Grinch? And you let zero love in, especially if you're not from here. We see Michigan plates on the road. We will purposely drive 10 miles under the speed limit just to spite you. I mean. The only state that's worse is if we see California plates. We see California plates. We go out of our way to get you in trouble on the roads. It's, it's like, like me with Florida. Exactly. And it's weird because we don't really have the, like, the Florida leafers, which I know we're going to have to discuss at some point in this episode. Yep. We don't really have that rivalry. And it's weird because when I was a kid, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry was huge. Like, on-site war if we saw someone flying Michigan colors. It's kind of faded over the years. And we've all just come together to hate California. If there's one unifying thing in all these episodes, we could just annex California. <laughs> let's put for this let's, entire series. Let's just put Puerto Rico over where California is now. We'll swap spots with just them. do a little swaparoni. It, it'll work. I don't know. So walk me through. I guess what what was it like growing up in the mountains? Because we, we're going to be moving back to the mountains, not to North Carolina, because I can't afford those taxes. No one can actually. Afford, no one can afford to live yeah, in North Carolina. The people that that say, "Oh yeah, yeah, I live, I live comfortably in North." Roy Carolina. Cooper is the worst governor I've ever seen in my life. Well, I saw a meme that's like anyone who says that they uh, live comfortably in North Carolina means that they live comfortably with sixty thousand dollars in credit card debt. Yes, that's exactly right. Roy Cooper is a horrible governor. I don't know why he's still in there. He's been in there for a long time. He needs to leave. Well, the tax situation, when you first moved up here. I was so confused. Well, because you were dreading. You're like, yeah, we can't. We had just gotten paid. You're like, hey, we can't afford to get new plates on the car. I'm like, we have $2,000 in the bank account. What do you mean we can't afford to go get new plates? And you're like, no, like the taxes, we can't afford them. I'm like, it's it's $47. What do you mean we can't afford them? And then you started to explain to me how vehicle taxes work and how you, when you buy a $16,000 car, you're actually buying like a $24,000 car with all the fees and the taxes. And the Depending on how long you own it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I know we've had a rampage about this before and I've actually had to cut it from the podcast. So I don't know if yeah. we've actually talked about this. Taxes in North Carolina are horrible, especially living in Western North Carolina. The poverty rate is very, very high. Um, I actually worked for nonprofits in that area yeah. and, and that helped with housing and that helped with uh, food clothing, shelter, things like that. Well, I mean, you worked at a nonprofit school system when I first met you. Yeah, I've worked at both. Um, I've worked at a nonprofit school, which also assisted students with things like that. And I've also worked at a nonprofit for adults as yeah. well. Okay. So basically, when you buy a car, they count it as property, like a house. So I had a, a 2015 Toyota Camry, or Corolla, Corolla excuse yeah. me. 2015 Toyota Corolla. I had to pay, I think, I want to say six, almost $700 for one year of taxes. My first year owning that car. One year I had to pay $700 just for the taxes plus the plates plus the registry. And that is just for, I mean, I mean, that's absolutely absurd. If you get like an SUV that has higher value, that has higher market value, it, it can go. It, I mean, I've seen it go up to almost two grand before there for was, one year. There was a young man on TikTok who uh, was showing, he, he lived in Charlotte 
and he showed that he went to the Mercedes dealership that's nearby one of the schools there. I'm assuming uh, either one, nearby the school or it might have been, I think the, the, NFL, the NFL stadium's there oh. too, right? Yeah, I think so. It was a Mercedes-Benz stadium nearby there. He bought, it was like 70-something thousand dollars, $4,300 in taxes he had to pay. To register that car to for register, one year. Yes, to one register the vehicle. And so, especially living in an area that was very high in poverty, it was so very common to ha- for people to illegally drive cars for one, because it's, it's gatekeeping in itself. Like it's literally keeping people from having affordable modes of transportation. Absolutely. Uh, but not only that, but we had the Tennessee line was very close to where I lived. And so a lot of people, you could still go get a PO box in Tennessee and register over there. And you didn't even have to have insurance for Tennessee plates. So you see all these old beaters with Tennessee plates. They're like, yep, they went across the line. But I mean, you can't, you can't blame them. Cause it's, I mean, you, have, I, I you, mean, you got to get to work. You got to get to work. You had to be able to get around, especially in those rough mountain roads. I mean, yeah. a two mile drive can take you 15 minutes and you can't walk it. Exactly. Well, and that's, that's what shocked me when I first came to visit you. There's like a touristy section right off like the road where you used to live on. And if yeah. you turn right, it runs you over to Cherokee, North Carolina, which yep. If you guys ride Harley's beautiful location, do not ride to Cherokee. No, do not go from Maggie Valley to Cherokee unless you are very, very experienced and and know how to avoid cars. The the thing is, I I rode the tail of the dragon, which you guys aren't familiar. That's like the most notorious trail on this side of the country for motorcycle enthusiasts. Yep. I rode that and I was more scared going through Cherokee in a car than I was on the tail of the dragon going through with like, I think 11 or 12 other riders at the time that I had never met, never ridden with. So that road, I mean, I used to drive like a bat out of H, H-E double hockey sticks. Oh, that's the most Southern thing I've heard all day. <laughs> Bless your little heart. Bless my little heart. Now I used to drive super crazy and it was kind of common for the area. I love that you say you used to, you'll still go 85 in the TFT mobile going to, <laughs> going to get McDonald's. You're like, okay, if it's 401. If I'm there by 406, the, the restaurant's going to close down. No, it's a Tuesday afternoon. They're not, they don't close for anything, even a hurricane. <laughs> you can slow down going through downtown. No, I used to drive way crazier and you know it. Uh, it was bad because I used to have to drive to Asheville to go work my second job and I had to get there on time. I had literally had to leave my desk job and go straight to go work catering. Well, when I met you, you had three jobs. Yeah. And that was one of the things that like really an early attractor was like, okay, this, this girl works hard and she wants to, she wants to have nice things and she wants to do them on her own. Yeah. That was huge for me. But the more I got to know you, the more I'm like, it wasn't just to have nice things. You had to work three jobs to survive while working as a, 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 an administrative professional for a school system. And you could not survive without two additional sources of income. And I mean, hell I lived in a, I lived in a, like a one bedroom apartment and a pretty crappy one at that. See, you say crappy though, but your view in that apartment was beautiful. Oh yeah. No, I mean, there's plenty of good views in the mountains, but on the spectrum of housing in that area, it was, it was on the lower end. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but we, uh, I, when you drive from Cherokee to Maggie Valley or vice versa, it's one lane. It's a one lane road. It, it has a middle yellow line, but no one ever, observes that no and it, it's, it literally will drive almost off the mountain on the other side to get around a curve because we're all going 90 terrifying i will never drive with you through the mountains ever again no and, that and, one and, and that part of north carolina any other time i'm like hey you want to take this one you have more experience in the mountains than i do i'm not trying to go off the side of a mountain today 
Yeah, I always get mad at you when you're going like five up a mountain. I'm like, Bob. Well, that's the thing. You got to understand, like Little Shepherd's Trail. I, I know that's what, what you're referencing. I'm going like 10 miles an hour through Little Shepherd. No, that was different. That that trail at any given time, like we are one goblin away from this whole trail going back to the mountains. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy. I want to see the goblin coming. That's fair. That's very fair. So it's kind of funny because I'm pretty sure you worked at one of the places or you've been to one of the places we're going to talk about, which is a, which is a first for you. I've been to some of the locations we discussed on the paranormal realm, Mm -hmm. but you've been to this one, right? The, the Biltmore house estate, the Biltmore estate. So I have taken school field trips to Biltmore. Um, I actually have personal involvement with Biltmore because my uh, grandpappy used to work at Biltmore. He worked night shift and he was cleaning. Um, you know, as we've gone through this episode, I know that's kind of a bit further down the United Strangeness line, but I've definitely noticed we talk a lot about how people in the mountains don't just don't talk about stuff like this. Yes. Like it's normal. You just don't talk about it. That was so prevalent when I was doing my research. So, so far, Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina have been some of the most difficult states. And if you were in that mountain range, it has been next to impossible to find good firsthand accounts of anything. You're right. And as I was talking to my friends from North, I'm only friends with a couple people still from North Carolina. And as I was talking to him, I literally asked him like, guys, you've known me for years. Did I ever tell you guys anything weird that happened to me? Cause I can't remember nothing. And, um, the more I thought about it, I, when I was younger, I was around my real country side of the family. And as I got older, and we're, when she says real country, we don't mean duck dynasty. We, we mean, Double wide on the back of the property. That if if y'all are from North Carolina and you are around that area, you know what I mean when I say Lee Sester. Well, yeah, it, but you show me and Sandy Mush. You've shown me some of these places on Google Maps, and I look at them. My first thought is, if I was telling our viewers where to go to find high strangeness, I would use this place as an example of where not to go. Yeah, it's One, dangerous. It's really, it's really dangerous. Um, they. Uh, Anyway, I, I grew up not really knowing a lot from my countryside of the family as yeah. I got older. But when I was younger, I heard quite a bit. Um, now, the people I grew up with weren't... My mamma was originally from the mountains, and she came back. But my guardian was not. And uh, so she didn't really have that much southern in her, I would say. Yeah, the I roots, mean, you met the her. roots weren't that deep for, for her specifically. Yeah. Now, your mamma... Oh, she, southern oh, through and through. Yeah, 100%. That, that's... That's the woman who, if she said, hey, come over for some cherry pie, I'm dropping everything because that's about to be the best cherry pie that's ever existed. And if it's not, I'm going to lie and say it is because she's going to kill me if I say no. Her Watergate salad was so good. I don't think you ever ate it. Watergate salad? Yeah. I hope that I'm just like ignorant and I don't know that that's... Pistachio pudding, uh, pineapples. I hope that they didn't name an entire salad after the Watergate scandal. (laughs) I not hope, either. I hope these are two different things. I hope not either. It's this, pretty good. Anyway. That's hilarious. So your your grandfather worked at Biltmore. Yes, he worked at Biltmore. And so you remember how I told you when I used to stay at my granny's, I would uh, stay, I would sleep on the couch and wait for him to get home, Claude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd wait for Claude to get home. And that's when I saw those weird movies about Rapunzel and how I told you about it. Patreon will know because we talked about it. Yeah, we've, when, we've dove really deep into your your North Carolina childhood over on Patreon. Yeah, so I knew some of the actual, the the Brothers Grimm original version of Rapunzel because 
my granny had the like renditions of yeah. the actual story, not Disney's side. Anyway, so I'd wake up in the middle of the night, see like Rapunzel dying in the desert of exhaustion, her hair, like basically she got scalped. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Do you not remember the story? It was messed up. I vaguely remember her getting scalped, but please go on. <laughs> but anyway, he would come home and he would, he'd scare me. He'd tell me like, oh, you know, we got, we got ghosts in Biltmore. He'd tell me about how he put up the Christmas decorations and how the whole, I think he told me at one point, a whole Christmas tree, like one of the really big ones all fell over onto the, one of the dining tables, the long ones. Oh, wow. And they had to clean it all up and it was uh, some kind of ghost activity. Well, I, I do want to give a shout out before I jump into the Biltmore story. A shout out to Matthew Burton. Matthew helped correct a lot of the weird conspiracy talk about Biltmore that was going around. Uh, yeah. Even I, like growing up in that area, I mean, it's still you, talked well, about to this yeah, day. It's You're surrounded by it. You're hearing the stories. And then the thing about the South is the story spread and very quickly they become reality. And then yeah. the, the thing is when it comes to not necessarily with the Biltmore, this would be a bad example but when it comes to cryptids and stuff like the stories of one person that, you know, they said, Oh, I saw this was actually a bat or something. The story gets passed on, passed on, told, told so many times. It's like, okay, is this a real cryptid? Is this a bat? Or is this like an egregore situation where we brought this thing into reality because we believed in it so much? Most likely. But yes, continue with Biltmore House. I've been there. It's creepy. I yeah. don't really like it very much. It, it The photos that you showed me and I looked up are eerie. But again, thank you, Matthew, for correcting some of the weird like conspiracy conversations that were going around because turns out they weren't correct. And Matthew Bird, he, this guy never ceases to amaze me. Of his history knowledge? Of his historical, the historical it, value of Matthew is so weird. Because I never thought that he'd have so much rudimentary knowledge and obsession over something like the Biltmore Estate in Asheville. And I don't he, claim Asheville, by the way. No one claims Asheville. The fact that Luke Combs is from Asheville and doesn't claim he's from he's Asheville. He's from Henderson. Oh, Hendersonville. Really? Okay. Yeah. People like to say he's from Asheville, but Hendersonville is also different than Asheville. Right. It might be more modernized now, but when I was growing up, Hendersonville was not Asheville. Fair enough. Okay, we'll dive into into Asheville afterwards here in just a moment. Okay, sounds good. So the Biltmore Estate sits on eight thousand acres of land. The house itself was constructed in eighteen eighty nine to nineteen sorry eighteen ninety five as the private residence of George Washington Vanderbilt, not the president. I was very confused the first time I was reading about the the this entire facility. I'm like, George, the president George Washington? Are you no. sh are you sure? No. Anyway, Vanderbilt had been making frequent trips to Asheville since his mother had resided there. Each time he visited, he fell more in love with the city and the scenery surrounding it. Not so much the city for me, but the scenery. The drive to Asheville from your The Great Smoky National Park. Is beautiful. Uh, so much so that he decided to construct a summer home. By the way, that is a that is a flex of a summer home. Yeah, the, that estate is very sprawling. Yeah. Uh, his older siblings had already built summer homes in their own right in New York and Rhode Island. Uh, both respectively, but George Vanderbilt wanted something that he wanted to call his summer getaway home, heaven away from hell. And thus the idea of Biltmore was conceived. You might think that the built and Biltmore is a play on his family name. However, this is not the case, but he does pay homage to Vanderbilt's Dutch heritage. Biltmore is a combination of DeBilt, a region of the Netherlands where the family originated from and a more Anglo-Saxon reference that roughly translates to rolling land. Vanderbilt pushed, uh, sorry, purchased many acres of land part of the estate's property. This included various farms and even cemeteries. So this is something that Matthew didn't bring up and I thought was kind of weird. According to this article and a few others I referenced, apparently 
during the construction of the Biltmore estate or the Biltmore house, they, they kind of go back and forth. Some of the cemetery's headstones, they were completely removed and the land was dug in and they made like personal gardens that had different themes. I, I just don't like the Biltmore. I, I don't like them. It's I, eerie for sure. I just, I don't know why. I've always had a bad feeling about the estate. And I'm like I said, I've taken multiple school trips up there. My granddaddy used to work up there. I just don't like it. I mean, but we just said yesterday, if your gut's telling you something, you should listen to your gut. Yeah. I just don't like it. Yeah. So a construction of the house began in 1889. To keep the construction going at a steady pace, a woodworking factory and a brick kiln were both added to the site. The kiln was said to produce as many as 32,000 bricks per day. Also constructed was a private railroad connected to the estate so items and other goods could be distributed. A private railroad for your summer home. This is not normal wealth. No, it's This is Elon Musk-level wealth. It, it was insane, the amount of money that was that went into this estate. Yeah, and it, well, it goes on. More than 1,000 laborers had helped build the house. While construction was underway, Vanderbilt traveled across Europe to, his, uh, to find interior decor for his newly built home. Some of this were one, was one-of-a-kind art pieces that are still seen. Displayed dis- today. Displayed, yeah, today. His home was completed in 1895, and he christened it with a party on Christmas Eve for distinguished guests. Many prominent figures have visited or stayed in the home, including several ambassadors, authors, and multiple U.S. presidents. One of Asheville's landmarks, and believe it or not, most haunted places sits on the property's edge, the Shiloh Forestry Compound, or the Biltmore Forestry School. That is a hard word to say. It was constructed on the grounds of the estate. It is here that Carl Schneck was hired as a forester for the estate. His knowledgeable on the uh, sorry his knowledge on the topic interested Vanderbilt and many of the locals. Shank opened up the forestry school and had offered a one year course for those who wanted to learn practical forestry techniques. And of course, the majority of the uh, funding went back to the Biltmore Estate. Uh, things to, uh, took a head when Shank and Vanderbilt disputed the payment for the work, thus leading to Shank's departure and the school's subsequent closure. The building still stands today and is haunted in his own right, and we'll talk more on that later. So. This is the part of the article that kind of shone a light on that family. The pay dispute that they're talking about. Yes. People were cutting checks directly to Vanderbilt Vanderbilt himself. Mm -hmm. And then he was supposed to give, you know, whatever proceeds or portions or whatever to Shank. And it wasn't happening. I believe it. (laughs) Now, the the problem is there are like 17 variations of that story. And 15 of the 17 back what this article claims the other two say that Shank wanted more money than was being paid, and Vanderbilt said, no, get off my property. So it's... I believe things. the other version more. Like I said, I just don't like him. I really don't. Is there a reason, or is it just uh, something I, in your gut said this guy's I, no I good? I feel like I heard something when I was growing up that I just... It, it set something wrong for me for when it came to Biltmore House. Isn't it interesting how that works? Like, you don't even have to remember the reason to dislike a prominent figure, but like something happened in your childhood and it's just ingrained in your brain. Like I know that this person's bad news. Yeah. I don't remember what it was. I mean, my memory from my childhood is crap. Yeah. We've talked about that in all of our childhood trauma episodes. That's how we deal with trauma. (laughs) Anyway, Vanderbilt would later die from complications stemming from an emergency appendectomy in Washington, DC at the age of 51. So he was pretty young. young. Yeah. He died pretty young at his request. His wife, Edith carried out his request that the land on his property would not be touched ever by anyone. The home would still be used as a private residence until the great depression hit. 
To keep the residents afloat financially, George and Edith's daughter, Cornelia Vanderbilt, would open the estate to the public as a tourist attraction. However, as the U.S. entered World War II, the estate was temporarily closed to the public for fear of potential risk of an attack against the Axis, or from, against Axis powers. Many of the uh, estate's artifacts were relocated to a protected area so they were not destroyed. Some of the artifacts included the famous George Washington portrait that was painted by Gilbert Stuart that some still say never returned, and what's there is a copy. I and mean... That's interesting. Times of distress, especially transporting high-valuable goods like that, that's definitely a time for sticky that, fingers yeah, to yeah. come through. It, it reminds me of the uh, the art heist that we covered yeah. like months ago, or yeah, almost In a months, year ago at this yeah, point. It's been, it's been quite a while. Uh, the Biltmore estate continued to be maintained by members of the Vanderbilt family, including the sons of Cornelia. Her son, John Cecil, lived in the house until his passing in 1956. His elder brother, George, also lived in the home until 1956. However, it wasn't long until the youngest of Cornelia's children would soon occupy and maintain the home and make it way more profitable. The estate became a historical landmark in 1963, and as of today, the estate sees more than a million visitors per year. But how many of them have witnessed strange activity or heard or seen something about spirits roaming the halls? So I have to say, the Biltmore has one of the most interesting paranormal claims that I've ever read. And Let's kinda, hear it. Kind of prep for this, because we've talked about this before, and it's like a weird little synchronicity that it popped up a few episodes later. Uh, while the estate sees so many visitors every year, there's probably no shortage of ghost stories that can be told about the Biltmore. Many past visitors and even staff members have told stories of hearing a voice whispering the name George repeatedly in the hallways sometimes in their inner ear in a very intimate fashion. It is believed that the spirit of Edith Vanderbilt herself is wandering the halls and possibly searching for her husband, who is also believed to be another spirit that's reported to live in the mansion as well. At night, some of the people working the grounds have heard sounds of laughter, glasses clinking, and a party-like chatter. The only problem is, no one's throwing a party that night. Many of the visitors have reported seeing spirits going up or down stairs. Sounds of footsteps have also been heard on multiple occasions. But not to be outdone, there have also been reports of strange spells, cold spots, and eerie feelings when visitors would go up or down the stairs. And to add to the strange factor, there's a number of headless mannequins that are stored in one of the 200 rooms in the house. The mannequins were dressed in period clothing, dated specifically back to the early 20th century. As for George Washington Vanderbilt himself, his spirit could be seen all over the place. But if you're hunting for the apparition of George and he'd be running out of options, he's probably in the uh, beloved study surrounded by his library of books. Apparently, he was like obsessed with his library, like to the extent that his wife would have to come and say, hey, the guests are downstairs. The food's getting cold. Get out of the library. That's me. That is you. That's literally me. I'm Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Well, uh, an interesting thing is apparently some of the books that he had, and again, this is an alleged rumor that was supposedly started. It started in North Carolina bars that he has some books or had some books in the library that came from the library of Alexandria. I mean, with the amount of wealth he had in that day, I would believe it. That would be of amazing historical significance. If that was true. Don't get me started on the library of Alexandria. <laughs> uh, whether the belt uh, Vanderbilt had owned pets or not, or not is completely unknown. Some say they did. Some say they didn't, but many people have reported seeing a headless orange cat roaming the garden area. But the Mike? weird the weird thing Like the chicken? The weird thing is the cat can be heard meowing. So how is it headless? It doesn't like there's no head, but it is still making noises. 
that's that's suspicious. That's weird, right? Yeah, I don't like that. And the crazy thing is, it it was initially noticed by a kid, and people just wrote it off as like, oh, this is just some kid, like you know, playing a prank, whatever. He knows the Biltmore supposedly haunted, so he's making something up. Yeah. Well, that night, as the tour guide told him, like, you're making this up. Don't you know? Don't say these kind of things. The tour guide saw it as they were walking to their vehicle. You better apologize to that kid. Yeah, that was my first thought. Like, maybe we stop telling kids that they're not actually seeing ghosts because they probably are. Uh, so as mentioned before, another haunted spot is also on the property. The old compound that was once the Biltmore Forestry School is the site of a prostitute's murder. Uh, this, again, this is very loose. It's it's I, I know we use the term allegedly a lot, but there are a lot of conflicting reports here. The one thing that does seem certain is a death did occur there. But they don't know who. That's where it gets interesting. So there was two articles I read, and they're the only two that had photos. You could clearly see someone had blacked out the location of death on this person's death certificate. Mm. But when they held it up to the light, you can clearly see it says the Biltmore House. Rear lot. Oof. Oof. So, I mean, the the plot thickens with the Biltmore House here. Uh, The spirit of the woman, along with a few others who were executed by hanging inside the old building, is said to be haunting the halls of the old compound. Wait, why was he executing people on his grounds? I don't, again, this is this one is is loose, but there were like hundreds, if not thousands, of people who said, "I know I've either been told this, or my grandparents were present when these executions happened. They were private executions." But again, oh, that's man. the problem: is there's no way to substantiate this history. No. Um, the weird thing is, they said uh, the the spirits have never been sighted anywhere beyond that part of the property, so they seem they seem to be locked into that area. Of the Biltmore. But that's the weird thing about the Biltmore. It reminds me a lot about of the, uh, what is it, the Denver International Airport. Mm -hmm. Are they just playing into the stories of the locals to try and drum up more business? See, I never, I personally never would have, would thought, think that. But then again, I'm close to this kind of story. Exactly. Um, But the reason why I say, no, I don't think they're playing on the ghost side of it is because Biltmore is huge. They have their own vineyard now. They have their own like four-star, five-star restaurant or something crazy there like was, that. There was a uh, like an aerial photo of the Biltmore showing how large it is, and it's the entire estate is the same size as downtown Asheville. I believe it. I would absolutely believe it. Yes. So Asheville, North Carolina, before I go into our, our second and last paranormal topic here, is the hipster capital of North Carolina. I do not claim Asheville. Asheville is not a good representation of where I'm from. The So if you go to the, the uh, I saw this, the Asheville Civic Center, uh, their Facebook page, they have in parentheses, Little California is what, they, is what they're claiming. I'm offended. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm always happy to see like a town thrive, especially in, in an area like Western North Carolina. Yeah. But like... They just completely, a lot of people and a lot of businesses just completely disregard the actual history of Western North Carolina. That, so when we went there, uh, you took me there, we met your friends in a bar. And first off, I was, that was the most uncomfortable I've ever been in, in that setting. But it, nothing about it said North Carolina. No. Like, and that's what I mean. Like, not, not with your friends, but the bar itself. No, it's completely different. And I don't like it like it, it feels, i go there to go shopping yeah and i think everyone from western north carolina goes there to go shopping because apart from that you can go to like the uh roses the, the well yeah, roses <laughs> but you can go to like the tourist traps the four t-shirts for 20 dollar places but there's just not a whole lot about Asheville that says we're in the mountains with the exception of the scenery 
you take away, you know, you put some blinders on, you're going to think that you're in like a California town. You really for are. sure. You really are. And yeah. It, it's weird because I, I hear so many country artists say, yep, I, I love North Carolina. I go out in the sticks. I go out to Asheville. And it's like, you went to the sticks in Asheville. That, if you ever hear someone say they're from the country and they say, yeah, yeah, I went out to the sticks. I was, I was in Asheville. Yeah. I was out in the sticks. Yeah. Okay. Punch them in the mouth for yeah, me. You're out in the sticks with your $17 cappuccino. Literally. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about, this would be a little shorter for paranormal. It's got to be, and it's, and this is not our ghost typical stories here, but it has to be North Carolina folk magic. Tell me about it. So North Carolina has a rich tradition of folk magic, but what is folk magic? A lot of things in life are simply unknowable. Magic is a practical way of dealing with the unknowable. I love that definition. That was beautiful. Uh, that might be my favorite new way to describe magic to the, like, the uninitiated right there. Yeah. Uh, it gives us ways to deal with the things we cannot know. These magical practices are specialized ways of using wands, objects, or actions to prevent, interpret, or influence events which have no obvious source or are outside of an individual's control. I like this person. This is from NorthCarolinaGhosts.com. This is ran by the state. They they brought in like a hedge witch of some sort to write this. Roy Cooper definitely doesn't have his hands in this. Yeah, that that's interesting. He'd be spitting on everyone right now. So folk magic traditions emerge from a uh, from a culture using the ingredients available in the world around them and shaping the beliefs as ingredients have with their beliefs. North Carolina has a long tradition of folk magic and folk medicine with a solution for many of life's common problems of life from curing a cold to protecting yourself from evil being right at your feet in the mountains. So they use bottle trees, which I, do you know I've never seen one of these before bottle trees. It's where you literally take an empty bottle and put it on a, like a, a, a barren tree branch. I've seen that in the sticks before, but I've, I don't, I've never personally done that. So that, so this is where it's interesting. Some people claimed that that's how you knew you were about to walk up on a moonshiner den. First off, no, no shiner is going to mark his territory and make it easy to find by putting a bottle on a tree. Uh, uh, I have never, I have walked up a moonshine stills before in my life and I didn't know I was walking on top of them until I was already on top of them. They usually got warnings, but it's not like, like it's definitely not going to say Bill, uncle Bill's moonshinery ahead, yeah, it's but not. it's, they, there's, there's stuff that they do to, to mark off their grounds. I mean, yeah. Just I, like a bottle on fair. a bottle, a jar on a stick ain't going to tell you which direction they're stills in. You just know you're not supposed to be in that area. Okay. That makes way more sense then. Cause that wasn't how it was described. But now that you say it, that makes way more sense. And speaking of moonshiners, we can't talk North Carolina. Without pop talking well, popcorn sudden. We have to pay our respects to the late great popcorn sudden. Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend. I still I still will not buy from uh, any of those Tennessee moonshineries. Yeah, the Smoky Mountain. You you have a hatred for like Smoky Mountain moonshine. I won't do it. Uh, so also used as pokeweed, which is this. Um, I'm showing Brittany because I don't really know what this is. It's like little black bulbs that are found. Oh, I had that growing outside my house. So apparently if that grows near your home, it has to be planted. It, it, it's not something that like falls off and then plants itself. It's a special type of seed has to be planted, but it's used to ward off evil spirits. Oh, I had a huge bush by my house. It should have gotten the evil spirits from within though. <laughs> and then you have, uh, but I'm bunch. That's a diss. The, the other things that they, that they consistently discuss, um, are loose stones that fall. That was very commonplace in the like very early stages of North Carolina. When there was a mudslide, they would go and collect some of the loose stones. And they carry them in their pocket. 
And what that would do is that would protect them from if they're traveling on a road and a mudslide would occur, that would keep them safe from the mudslide. Yeah, mudslides are bad in that area because Western North Carolina is very wet. Yes. Um, it's very humid. It's very wet. They have high rainfalls. And so there's a lot of initiatives in that area to try and prevent rock slides as much as possible. But I've seen yeah. entire houses come off the side of a mountain. The The first time I came and met you, I went through the gorge and I was shocked because I, I had seen the nets, like the nets that are built around the uh, yep. bottom of mountains to stick. I'd never seen one with rocks in it before. And I came around the corner um, right before one of the tunnels in the gorge and it was completely full of rocks. Yep. And there was maybe three or four small ones that had made it out, but the large ones, I'm like, th these nets do their job. I thought this was like just for show. No, it was very, very cool to see those in action. So now I want to just split off here and talk about mountain witches and witchcraft in North Carolina. Uh, in the Appalachian mountains, the witch has been a particular figure of terror Witches walked on the border between natural and supernatural, human and devil, and knowing their ways and how to guard yourself from them was a common refrain in folklore in the North Carolina mountains. However, due to North Carolina being in the Bible Belt, it has been long known and overdue to explain that there has never been a single nefarious act, whether criminal or non, carried out by a witch's coven in the state of North Carolina. I don't know who wrote this article. But They're they, doing their research, they did though. a great job. Yeah. And so the interesting thing, some of the protection they would do from, uh, from, from witches was anything from um, they would go and get local cotton, string it out like cobwebs out front of their door. And I had never seen that before until I looked at a picture. Then I remember as a kid going to my Aunt June's house, and she had that up. And I need to reach out to her and ask, hey. Is that to protect you from witches? Yeah, was this an accident? And then the other interesting thing is they borrow from fae folklore and they hang um, horseshoes above their houses. So Eastern North Carolina did this for witches. Western North Carolina did this for the fae folk. Yeah, I had horseshoes above my door. It was very, very interesting. I, I, I didn't know that. And the basically magic in, as a whole has like deep roots in Appalachian, like just the way of life. But there has been, it's been suggested and not proven that over $25 million in taxpayer money has been spent to basically paint a negative connotation of witchcraft and magic in North Carolina by the government. Roy Cooper, you piece of crap. Yeah. And I thought, Oh, well, this is like years ago, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> 2016, there was a bill passed that said miscellaneous dash dash witchcraft. And these were donations sent out to local churches for, according to the governor's office, they claimed, and I, I, I'm not making this up because I thought it was hilarious, it was for food drives against witchcraft. Well, especially with Asheville, I will give Asheville one thing. The metaphysical side of Asheville is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, they have some really cool stores there and uh, some pretty cool people when it comes to that side of yeah. Asheville. And I would definitely agree that over the last like eight years, people have definitely kicked it up a notch in that area for, uh, for metaphysical, spiritual and magical means. And I would absolutely, uh, I would absolutely believe that Roy Cooper did that. This whole episode is actually just a diss to get Roy Cooper kicked off his next campaign. Let's get Roy Cooper on the podcast. He, I will tear that, him apart. I will a, tear be him a forbidden apart. app three minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you though, growing up, did you know that like the horseshoe over was, was something to do with, you know, 
Fairies. Magic in general. Yeah. Fa- so you knew that as a kid. Yeah. That um, is insane. So I, I'd, I'd seen that up here in the Lucky Horseshoe, the Lucky Rabbit's Foot, that kind of stuff. I always thought it was just superstition. I had no idea mm-hmm. its roots in magic. So here's where it gets kind of weird for me. So like I said earlier, I talked to the girls and I was like, did I ever tell y'all anything happened? Um, and they didn't really have anything to add to that conversation. But when I was growing up, when I was earlier growing up, I was around the country folk. That's when I learned. I learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the things I learned. I would have never, ever called it magic. Never. Um, and that's, that was the importance. And, I, and I, 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 don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but I remember when we did the magic is everywhere episode and I, I had all these examples ready and I saw the, the lights flicking on your head and you're like, I never looked at what we were doing as kids at my granny's or my, my, you know, the trailer houses and stuff. I never looked at this as magic. I looked at this as, this is the way we do it. Yes. And that's why a lot of stuff is lost in memory for me. I think, I mean, besides the bad stuff, um, the stuff that I learned and the stuff that I did as a kid that was almost ritualistic, honestly, um, it was normal. And it's, it's, uh, it was a part of the environment. It was part of the culture of the way I was growing up. So it never stuck out to me as, Hey, I'm doing something that has to do with high strangeness. Well, what I love is have you ever heard of a Carolina ring knot for fishing? Carolina ring, not Carolina ring, knot. it's a, it's a type of fishing knot. I'm no. So there's Carolina rigs and there's the Carolina ring, knot. the Carolina ring, knot. you're supposed to use soil. So you tie your knot up, you get soil mud from the, from the ground that you're fishing on, on your hands. You rub that on the the line, right? Before you tie the knot all the way. So this goes all the way back to Tibetan folklore. That's the insane part. Tibetan folklore and magical beings rubbing soil and dirt on their hands and on their fishing rods and their lines in hopes of pleasing the nature spirits to help them catch fish for bounty. Yeah. And this came all the way to Western and Eastern North Carolina to the coastlines from the, I ain't never heard it called that before, but I've, I'm pretty sure I saw my uncle do that before. And and if you ask him why he's doing it, I I, I guarantee he would say makes the knot better. And then you think about it, you're like, you're putting dirt in a knot. How does that make it better? How does it make any sense? Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things that it's just kind of weird to, to think about. So one thing I want to touch on before we move on to uh, our next couple topics is when I was growing up, I know I kind of talked about a little bit about missing time. And when we get to UFOs, I'll talk more about that. But I had an obsession with concoctions like pulling up the grass and the flowers and putting things together in like a little hole dig a little hole with your hands put it together get some bark off the tree so your your witchcraft is like that started at a young age unknowingly unknowingly and i only bring i bring this up trepidatiously because i don't know how many kids did that you know i that might be common for kids i made mud pies that's it no no, this is different. And I am I am an expert tree climber, by the way. I can climb I can climb a tree. Well, but, let, I, I want to touch on what you just said. There are days where we'll be in eastern Kentucky or even here in Ohio and we're driving on a rural road and you're like, hey, stop. Why? See that blue flower? I need it. <laughs> I've never heard you say, I'd like to have it. I want it. You go from like, oh yeah, this is a great day. I need it. I have to have that flower in my home. Yeah. And in right now, if I open the back of your car, I will find 
different flowers from Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Dried out, yeah. I will find a large stick that you found in Eastern Kentucky on Little Shepherd's Trail. In a feather, a couple feathers. I will find feathers that we found in West Virginia and Ohio. <laughs> and that's just in your car. Yeah. So no, no, not all kids did this. And I, I know very few adults who carry this into adult who were like, it's literally, have you, did you ever watch the fam- family guy like back when it first started? Yeah. And he lures Peter out. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, Ooh piece, piece of candy. candy. Yeah, that's That's me. how you are with weird nature stuff. And it's so bizarre because you don't have a rhyme or reason. You just know that particular flower, we have to stop on the side of this busy road so I can have it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I just, I, I grew up just, I, I love being outside. I hate bees. That's one thing I do hate. I, I grew up an only child. Um, so I, I had to do a lot of stuff to keep myself entertained. And when I was outside, that's one of the things I loved doing. I loved going in between the different plants, getting leaves off of each plant, yeah, smelling them, seeing what kind of texture they were, um, and learning about those, those plants. Did you have poison ivy a lot as a kid? I don't talk about it. Yeah. That's what I thought because you seem like one of those types of kids. I don't like just... talking about it. <laughs> Uh, I was not one of those fortunate ones that was immune to poison ivy, but I got a couple stories to tell real quick. I am immune to poison ivy, by the way. You suck. I'm immune to both poison, poison ivy and poison oak. I found that out at a very young age. You suck. So my, I have, I have a, a couple granddaddies. So my granddaddy on my dad's side, I, I didn't see him very often. And he had this big, he had a trailer on this big hill. And he mowed this hill and he had um, these flowers in these bushes. And uh, that's where I, I started climbing trees pretty frequently because he had a couple pines that had lower sticks when I was younger that I could climb up easily. Yeah. So I would spend a lot of time in the yard. And every time I pull in the driveway, he'd come out and he'd pluck one of his flowers for me. He had th- these really pretty rose bushes lined in the driveway. I'd always get a rose. Every time I came in, he'd give me a rose. And he'd put it in a little little vase and he'd make me breakfast while I went and played outside. Or watch WWE, one of the two. We did both. <laughs> two sides of the two sides of a completely different coin, but yes. So he had this area at the lower end of his property, at the bottom of the hill, and it was a circular area that was completely. It had honeysuckles. It had. Um, you might want to tell the story about the time I tried to get to eat a honeysuckle. Yeah, that's not happening because I, I just <laughs> won't do it. Also, I, I I hate to interject a second time here. That's another thing you haven't grown out of. To this day, we'll be in the wood, middle of the woods hour into our high strangers investigation but like <sighs> see that tree well which one there's seven thousand of them we're in the middle of the woods that one yeah yeah what about it i could climb it <laughs> right now <laughs> thank you for that um if we need you to if we get lost and you have to climb to the top of a tree i know who i'm gonna call because there's two of us here and i'm not climbing a tree to this day, you were just saying the other day in the backyard, I, I, I you know, I, I can't climb the tree in the backyard. It's too dead. I'll fall out. See that right there? And you start pointing at things on the tree. <laughs> now, these, these, are the, these are the deciding factors on if a tree is climbable. I'm like, I will keep this in mind. If I'm ever in a position to climb a tree, a man of my size to be like, today's the day I climb trees. But please continue. I'm sorry, but I, I have to. I have to remind you, you're not a normal person. <laughs> and that a lot of these things that you're just like, this is what normal people think. No, I've never once seen a tree man like, I'm going to climb that. I'm going to own this tree today. I, I just like it. Anyway, it was this weird little area at the bottom of the hill. It was surrounded by pretty high bushes and flowers and honeysuckles. And I always went down there 
And I don't know, I don't remember what I used to do down there. I think I would just sit and I would just sit in this area and it was just a weird little, little circular area that I just like playing in. I didn't really do anything in. Yeah. That's called a fairy ring. Probably. And you were comfortable there because the Fey folk were drugging you and going to take you away. I'm surprised they didn't. I am shocked at, 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 with the amount of things you did as a kid by yourself, by the way. No one here in Ohio, I, I grew up in the satanic panic, honey. So no, you, <laughs> don't you honey you, me. You, you weren't going around by yourself. You'd have six people and someone's older brother with you. You're like, yeah, I was probably three miles into the woods at this point, swimming by myself in the creek. And, uh, I knew if I left right now, I'd be, oh home my right God. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Okay. You were seven. Okay. I gotta get, I gotta do two, two more stories. Okay. Okay. I'll let you get through them so we can get onto UFOs. Okay. First one. So when I used to go visit my Nana, she actually lived um, out near Mar- Marshall or Mars Hill. Okay. Um, and we between Weaverville and Mars Hill. If you're from that area, you know what I'm talking about. So across the road, there was actually a crab, uh, crab apple tree orchard. You know what crab apples are? Yeah, yeah, we used to throw them at each other. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kids. Yeah, if you eat them, you get real bad diarrhea. I've never... I've never known anyone that's eaten a crab apple, so I'm assuming you did that as a child. Yes. You have to cook them a lot I've never, for them to be edible. I've never heard of anyone eat crab. I always thought they were just ammunition a lot of kids, for your friends. A lot of kids did, and you just knew not to eat them again. Yeah. You seem like the kind of kid who would put a buckeye in, in her mouth and be like, hmm, I wonder if this is good food. I ate walnuts off the tree. You can't. You throw it against the, you throw it against the tree, crack it. Yeah, you can't, you can't eat buckeyes. They're not something that you eat. I, I was just telling you. Okay, continue. So they had this uh, like crab uh, crab apple orchard that was right across the road. It went down a hill, and there was a my nana lived in like the elderly apartment apartment complex that was like income based. Yeah, 
And so there were four other ladies that lived in this apartment complex and one, and they all had grandkids. And one of them I was friends with when I was real young. And so she actually took me through the crab trees or crab apple trees and down the hill. And if you turned right and kept walking, there was actually a playground on the other side. I don't know how far we were walking. It was dark. The canopies of the trees were like covering up, blocking out the sunlight. This is why you don't have a problem doing what we do at night. Right? So, we, so we walk through the crab, the crab apple trees and we get to the playground and we play on it for a little bit. And there's these guys pull up in this older sedan and start walking towards the, the playground. And I told yeah. her we need to get out. So we ran. When we ran back, we looked behind us. No one was there. So when we looked on the left-hand side, would be a back up the hill towards the apartments. To the right would be down further towards the bottom of the hill, basically down into like a forest. The playground was behind us. We looked to the right. There's a black bear sitting in between the trees, eating some of the crab apples. That bear is going to make a mess later. (laughs) So I think animals can eat it. It's just humans. If you eat them, you get diarrhea. That makes sense. But there was a whole black bear sitting down there. We had to bolt up the hill and I I got my butt beat. When I got back, I was red. I'm I'm surprised my Nana didn't come outside and get a switch for, for me because it was bad. I thought you meant for the bear. I was like, hey, <laughs> your, your Nana was. Oh, she would have. She was the she Chuck was Norris mean. of the South. Okay. She was mean. My Nana was a mean woman. But yeah, I uh, almost got kidnapped on the playground, came back through, almost got ate by a bear, then got beat by my Nana. So you do have a history of bears almost attacking you in the darkness. Hey, that's on you. No, that's on Matthew. That's a different <laughs> conversation for a different episode. Last story. I spent the night with one of my friends again when I was younger. In a tra- she lived in a trailer park. We broke out of her window uh, out of a bunk bed. Of course you did. <laughs> she had a bunk bed. We broke out of the window and we went out to the creek that was by the trailer park, which is a bad idea. I know that water was not sanitary at all. It's not even like North Carolina Creek up to standards. We break out. We go night swimming. I my I drop into a hole right by the creek and lose one of her shoes Oh, down, <laughs> down the creek. And I slid open my heel. So we had to go outside the next morning. We, we had to climb back through the window. I, hope, the wind- you, I hope you were up to date on your tetanus shots, by the way. I hope so. <laughs> I don't remember. So we had to climb back through the window with my heel bleeding. And then we had to go get dressed in the morning, go outside and then come back in and pretend that I just slipped my foot. So her mom would actually doctor it up. Okay. Then we walked another time. I don't think it was the same night. We walked all the way down the Creek, almost back to town. And we actually went through like this tunnel area that almost looked like it had like a runoff pipes on the side. It was concrete. So like if we had a a uh, slide yeah. uh, or a floaty, we would have went up and down like half piped okay. in this creek area, walked all the way down and walked all the way back and didn't get back till dark. So I, I have some bad news for you. That was a sewer line. Yeah, I know. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I know. as an adult because yeah. that's a hundred percent what that a sewer was. Line. I just didn't want to say it. Well, now we all know. Now, you know, dark secrets. All right, let's talk UFOs. And let, let me let me just explain this for a second. I could not find a single article that didn't make sure you knew North Carolina is the 10th most UFO spottings in the entire country. Go North Carolina. First off, it's not a contest. Second off, who's making these lists? We've, we've discussed. If it's not for MUFON, it's not a real list. 
I think vermouth on North Carolina is pretty high up there, but at the same time, it's hard to get people to talk about it, at least from where I'm from. Because it's normal. It, yeah. The one thing I'll where say is are normal. where you lived in West North Carolina, the sky was beautiful. The only thing I've seen that's even comparable has got to be Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. But where you were from, like you could, if something was in the sky, you would see it. And yep. that, that was always really cool to go visit you, especially to ride through like in my Harley at night. That was always something like really, really cool to see. So, okay, let's talk UFOs. A man taking a time-lapse image of the Milky Way also captured a series of odd light swirls in the sky. And the resulting footage has ignited talk of UFO activity in North Carolina's Outer Banks. Uh, is that, I'm guessing, the coast? Yeah, Outer Banks is the coast. It's oh. where rich people go on vacation. I was not one of those. I've never seen the Outer Banks. <laughs> okay. Uh, artist Wes Snyder is well-known in the southeast for his coastal photography, particularly the images taken at night. But even he's at a loss for what the rotating red trails might be. The lights are seen multiple times in his video, always along the horizon, and they all they appear to be circling something. So initially I thought, okay, this is an aircraft. This is pretty easily to explain. But it seemed like they all had a center point of origin. So like almost like how, you know, how we rotate around the sun, mm-hmm. like they were rotating around something, but then they periodically are changing direction to rotate the other way. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's, it's, I've never seen anything quite like this video before. Uh, Snyder said the movement defies easy explanation. When taken into account the time-lapse process, each photo is taken with a 10-second exposure with one second in between. So the math on that is one-tenth of a second per photo being snapped, but it's a long exposure. Uh, he says, I've caught thousands of plane trails. And I've never seen any, any of them looking like this. So I'm certain they're not your typical aircraft. I've caught these trails before in several other time lapses, but I've yet to figure out what type of plane they are or what would have this capabilities. And oddly enough, it's always in North Carolina. And he says that in the outer banks, it's not too far from a bombing range in Eastern North Carolina. And it's known for lots of military aircraft, but when shown to the local air force officers, they said, we have nothing that does that. We have no idea what that is. And then the very next day, it's a weather balloon. And then they followed back the next day and said it was a weather balloon. No, they, they didn't, <laughs> but that would have been hilarious. Swamp gas yeah, over the it, ocean. And now I know people are going to be expecting the brown mountain lights. If you're new to the two tales from the dark, we did a full deep dive. And when I say deep dive, I, meant, I mean, we spent weeks researching and finding the best possible scenarios. We tried to debunk the brown mountain lights. It, it can't be done. Yeah. Uh, it's something I've never really, I haven't spent a lot of time up there yeah, personally. So if you guys want to hear our theories on the Brown mountain lights, along with just basically a deep dive, I, I think the episode might just be titled the, the Brown, the mountain, Brown Light. mountain lights. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So uh, this is another one here. What is being described as a huge UFO mothership was caught on film in North Carolina. According to the Charlotte observer, an unnamed cameraman caught the object hovering over rural fields close to Columbus, 85 miles west of Charlotte and Polk County in the night sky. So I'm actually going to give a better description. It's actually okay. near Flat Rock, closer to Hendersonville and Asheville. Okay, well, thank you for that, because I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> the black and white video was filmed on April 3rd and runs nearly five minutes. The YouTube footage released by the UFO Institute shows a V-shaped craft lit by six hovering alternating lights accompanied by a humming sound and the voice of the cameraman asking what the heck are those lights and why are they moving? So here's the interesting thing. It's a V shaped object. So imagine, you know, just like a, just drawing a V with six lights underneath it. Mm -hmm. Now imagine the lights coming off the craft and changing positions on the craft. How is it doing that midair? That's the weird thing is the craft never stopped moving a single time. 
and the lights were literally disconnecting from the craft and reconnecting. So like the, the light in space one will be in space three, two to four, so on and so forth. And it was, again, I haven't seen anything quite like this one before in the humming that it's with. It sounds like the hum that I've heard in cave systems and the hum that's been described in series like Hellier or even the Bob Lazar story. talking about the humming beneath the ground uh, at area S four. Interesting. So very weird stuff. Uh, and then he says, whatever it is, it seems to be dropping. Conspiracy theories have uh, said that the idea that the lights belong to a top secret experimental anti-gravity military vessel called the TR-3B, which could be used at Fort Bragg or Pope Air Force bases. But the Air Force says that that craft doesn't exist. Also, if that craft did exist, it wouldn't look like that. First off, the PR guy from the Air Force needs to be fired because you can't say that's ridiculous. It doesn't even look like that if it existed. <laughs> if I knew of such things. If that existed, I promise you we'd have a much better design. It would be in an X, not a V. Oh, my God. He probably was part of the design team. And he, he got offended. <laughs> he got offended. <laughs> I, I love it. So the sighting is the, one of at least 20 sightings recorded in the state in 2018 alone. Uh, and the, the National UFO Reporting uh, Center in Davenport, Washington, posted a report of round orange balls flying over a Charlotte resident's backyard with no sound towards the uh, Charlotte Douglas International Air Force or Airport on March 18th. From left to right, the sky was full of them, 15 to 20 orbs, some of them looking the size of small sedans ranging to small homes. That's crazy. You and have to base it on the size of the of Walmarts. Well, and the weird thing is the same deal happened. The lights were moving, bouncing around, and then all of a sudden they just shot off in the distance. Interesting. Yeah, it, that one's odd. The V-shaped one's odd. That's a very unique uh, dis their description, but it's also accompanied by a hum, which normally there's no you know signs of any type of noise or anything. So that, that's, a, that's a weird one there. And then in snow camp, a woman said she saw a UFO circle her house. And the weird thing is when it, she said it was circling her house, it went faster and faster and faster. A light got incredibly bright and she woke up the next morning. Missing time. And that's all she remembers. So that's really all I could find. And I, I do have to bring up the UFO landing pad real fast. As far as we know, the Willis Observatory has the only UFO landing pad in the U.S., there's a huge field adjacent to the Willis Observatory, which is a custom-made UFO landing pad. Willis Observatory hopes to average three UFO landings per year. However, so far, they've missed their mark with zero. Space Pine has an annual alien festival. There are more UFO sightings in Spruce Pine and Mitchell County than anywhere else in North Carolina. We're talking six times more. And that is what the Willis Observatory hopes to do is invite them in via this landing pod. Yeah, it's a trap. It's a trap. They're going to get you there, and they're going to they're gonna tax the crap out of you. <laughs> you. You think you can fly through our airspace and not pay taxes? Not in North Carolina. You can't. So before we transition to UFOs, or to cryptids, yeah. we have a couple things, again, to talk about. Well, I have to ask you, do you ever recall seeing anything strange in the sky? You're... And I also have to ask, do you think that where you lived, being such a beautiful landscape, or I guess skyscape mm -hmm. would be the proper terminology, do you think that that kind of aided in your obsession with space as a child, or yes. do you think it was something completely separate? Yes and no. I think I would have had that obsession regardless, but it definitely made it easier to watch the night sky. Okay. Um, when it comes to have I ever personally seen anything weird in the sky when I was a kid, 
Uh, not that I remember. I, I've seen shooting stars before. I'm sure I've seen something moving around in the sky, but nothing that I can recall that was just like, that was an alien. There's, there's something, there's irony in this somewhere that as a kid, you grew up in a very beautiful location for sky gazing with, you know, basically crystal clear. You could see some planets if it's clear enough on a night without clouds. Then you come to Ohio, which is notorious for having some of the worst stargazing imaginable unless you're in Hawking Hills and you catch a UFO on tape. Yeah. After you became a podcast host and YouTuber, that's kind of circulates around only covering UFO content. There's some irony in there somewhere. Yeah. I had a telescope when I was a kid too. I just didn't use it very often. Um, no, I, I, it's not, unfortunately it's not a hobby or an interest that very many people were willing to talk to me about. Yeah. I was the only one in my entire, I mean, I grew up with my grade of people. I think I was the only one who was interested in space. Well, it's funny that you, you chose like most people, like most girls your age, they're horse girls. That's, that's their thing. Especially or in that area. Or it's Barbies or it's makeup. You're okay. You guys have that. I know way too much about Egypt and space. If the aliens come down, I can point out constellations to them and I can definitely tell them who Horus was. Those are the two things I can definitively do better than you can. You know what's funny about that? I also had Barbies and I had Hot Wheels as well. And then I also was playing like <laughs> like uh, Crash Bandicoot as well. You were a busy, a much busier child than I was. I was yeah. just like microwaving Furbies and stuff as a kid. You had like, at the age of seven, you had more cool interests than I did at like 16. Ayo. Anyway, the story. Yes. Tell, tell us the stories. I'm sorry. So I kind of hinted at this last uh, United Strangers episode. So when I was really, really young, I went to basically this compound. I visited a couple times. It was family on my dad's side. My great aunt Opal, uh, she lived in a trailer on here. And then there was also a uh, wooden cabin at the very end of the road. I just love that all of your family has the most country names. My great aunt Opal, by God. It sounds like you're making these people up. And I know you're not because I've met your family. You've literally seen pictures of all these people. But from the outside looking in, you're like, the listeners probably like, who names their kid Opal? Really? really well, she was Brittany? my Nana's uh, sister-in-law, I want to say. And I think she split from their brother and they just, she kind of stayed in the family. Yeah. So she always gave me candy, like hard candy. Um. And so I love going by her trailer, but at the very end of the road, I'm pretty sure it was my um, Nana's brother who lived at the end of the road and he died um, while I was really young. So if you go around, it's, it's literally a hauler. Like we've shown some pictures in the group of a hall. It was literally a family hauler. Like we knew everyone who lived in this little compound. So the trailer, if you drive up, the trailer was on the left-hand side and you kept going around a bend and kept going straight. And there was uh, the wooden cabin in the back. Now, Anyone who knew me in the South knew that one of my favorite foods is canned green beans. It still is to this day. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking green giant green beans. I mean, good old Southern canned green like, beans like that an, you got from the garden. Jar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They always gave me a bunch. All right. So that was a pretty cool place to go. On the left hand it side. It sounds like you're just sticking to the family members who gave you food and, and other miscellaneous <laughs> trinkets as a child. I'm pretty sure you're a fairy yourself. <laughs> like, do you have any coins to offer? What about, hmm, hmm, 
Green beans. What are the succulent green beans from the fields? <laughs> yes, I would like to take them back to my um, family at my compound. I mean, I'm sorry. I would like to eat some, please. <laughs> also, what are your names? Opal, I know you're making that up because you know I'm a fairy. Thank you. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I don't know. I don't remember much. But anyway, so on the left-hand side, there was a, a farm. They actually had like a rows and rows of corn, and they, and they grew a bunch of vegetables. One thing I remember very particular, like very specifically about this farm is there wasn't really a barn that I could see or remember. Um, a lot of their uh, tools were either like inside the house or were like right outside the house. Uh, a lot of yard junk, stuff like that. I remember going through the corn and walking through this corn and it was surrounded by mountains. Like literally it was in a valley and three of the sides were mountains all around it. And then the other side was just a house. And I got lost in this corn. And I don't remember what happened when I got lost in this corn. I just remember getting back to the house at dusk and they were screaming for me. Yeah. Didn't know where the hell I went. Didn't know what happened. And it was, that's all I remember. See, that's... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's interesting about that is, is it's, you know, that's classic missing time. And we are very slow to label things that happen to us personally as paranormal or ufological. We are just, we, we, we don't want to believe that it happens to us because it's, it's almost unbelievable. Oh, the paranormal and the UFO podcasters had a UFO event. It's almost unbelievable. That's why we only really publish what we catch on the film. But what I will say is when we moved, we, we used to live out in the, uh, pretty rural part of Ohio before we moved to our current house. The corn. Yeah. I remember when you moved out there, I remember we went and looked at the house. The corn hadn't been harvested yet and you were staring at it. And that was all I could tell you were physically bothered. And so I'm like walking the property and looking around, making sure that everything looks, you know, like, Oh, this is a place we could live. Sure. Well, you were staring at the corn. Didn't really want to go in the house for the first 10 or so minutes. And I could tell like something was wrong. And on the way home, you were just like, I hate cornfields. I can't stand them. And it wasn't until we moved here and I heard the story about missing time that I understood this is a deep rooted fear that I don't think you remembered you had. No. Because we had consistently talked about, you know, Ohio cornfields. That's that's the big meme. So, well, if you drive long enough, you can see the second cornfield. That's kind of the joke because that's all Ohio is. And they're not entirely wrong when it comes to Midwestern Ohio. But it was really intriguing, and I never, like I said, I didn't understand why until you told me this story, and that's a fear that even to this day when we're in eastern Kentucky, caves, you're all in. Old abandoned warehouses, you're all in. Woods. Woods in the middle of the night that we know there are bears and potentially killer rednecks, no problem. 
going through half of an acre of corn. Nope, I'm not doing it. There's nothing you can do to get me to go back there. And it's very interesting because as we cover more UFO cases and we learn more about missing time, you're just like most of the contactees. They don't know why they have this innate fear. They know that something about this happened. Something bad happened here and their body saying, stay away from this at all costs. And you're the same way when it comes to cornfields. And again, we're not saying you were abducted by aliens or anything crazy, but we're saying that there's got to be a reason for your uh, fear, fear of cornfields. Especially considering like I grew my own plants growing up as well. Like we had yeah. a full, our entire, I mean, you saw how big that backyard was. That backyard was an entire oh, garden. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but we only had like three, three rows of corn so you could see through it. So I didn't have an issue with it. <laughs> you, it turns out you're the reason the corn never grew. Cause they, they would, I would sabotage it. And you, at you night. Go out there and pee on it or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'd uh, be yeah. sleepwalking and cut it down <laughs> and cut it down. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't really, I don't know whatever happened to my aunt Opal or, um, anyone in that area. I, I, I don't know. I don't even remember their names from the most part as it turns out this is all a cover story so no one finds out that your fey compound is actually in that valley <laughs> the, the entire- i would go back if i could find it i would go back but i don't know how safe it would be because i'm telling you that was a hauler the, whoever got that it's it's a hauler and that's the thing that people don't understand people watch hellier and they just think i can go i can go to eastern kentucky i can investigate and it's when you're in these places and it's, it's, there's a feeling there's when you pull into somewhere you shouldn't be, you know, and, and the thing is, I give this great example. The last time we were in Somerset, we found an, uh, an additional cave just randomly. I had looked it up on Google and I'm like, there's no way this cave is real. So the location of the cave is off from what Google says, but it's on the same road. So we found this cave and I'm looking at what I know about caves and how I kind of know that the caves connect in the Somerset area. I'm like, I bet if we drive far enough up the road, we can find another one, maybe a larger entrance or something. We started driving and as turn, as soon as we turned right on this road, you said, Hey, we need to get out of here. You knew before I did that this is not a place to be. We get a quarter mile up the road and all of a sudden I start feeling like, man, we're being watched. Well, sh- sure as can be. I look to the right. There's a kid coming out of the little garage. He's staring at us. He picks up his phone. We drive maybe a hundred more feet. There's a whole family outside of their house around their car staring at us. Yep. We keep going and it's just more and more people. And, and these are pretty spread out houses and they're not very big, but it was like a small mob was slowly forming to see where are they going? And as we got to the end of the road, you could go right down this like barren dirt road that went up a mountain. And you told me if you go up the mountain, like we're not coming back, you got to turn around right here. And as we turned around, all the people who had, were watching us had come closer to the road yeah. And I was like, oh, this is what you mean by don't mess around in these haulers. This is exactly what you've been telling the listeners not to do. And, and it's so easy in, in certain areas of Kentucky, especially to do it by accident, to go off what you don't think is an access road to all of a sudden you're in some, you're on somebody's property and you have a very small window to get off someone's property. I mean, it's the same way in North Carolina and especially some of the areas I am from, I mean, you remember when I got took up to uh, where my dad originally lived and he literally lived in a shack with a, with a, my, my dad and his brother, when they were growing up, they literally lived in a shack that had a a dirt floor. Like I'm not exaggerating. I was taken up on top of the mountain. I know where they, they lived. Um, And this area was bad, bad for drugs, bad for meth. I mean, it was a horrible area. 
but it had some of the prettiest scene, scenery I've ever seen when it came to mountains. So they had these trailers. They had these shacks up here, up there that they lived at. I still had some family up there. Couldn't talk to them because don't have too good family on that side. But yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's bad. I mean, if I hadn't been with my uncle at that time, I, I would not have been able to go up there safely. And even with him, he was like, Hey, we can't go up here. That, see, and that's, that's wild. But again, that's, that's, that speaks to the culture of the South in, in a way that people from like New York or Maine, not dog in the States, but places like that will never, ever understand. Not with these guys. No. So before you get into, into uh, the cryptids here, Let's talk Max Patch. Let's talk Max Patch for a second. I, I don't want to go into the full story. Basically, what I wanted to do is tell our listeners, if you want some more high strangest and just unusual activity with North Carolina, I, I don't remember the title of the video. I know it has Max Patch in the name. Um, we had one of the most bizarre experiences of my entire life in North Carolina. You didn't believe me. No. You didn't believe me when I told you about how weird it was. And it's it's not even UFOs. It's not Bigfoot. It's not all these these things are happening. It was literally you didn't believe that I lived in a weird area and that these weird well, things happened. We got lost from the place you were originally trying to take me to. Yeah. But as we're going up this hill, and again, I don't want to go into too many details because we have to we have to talk about some of the crazy cryptid stories you have coming up for us. But uh all the alarms in my head were going off of this feels fake. The homes feel staged. fake. It, yeah, it feels staged. And we start, as you start to go up this mountain, that makes no sense. I start to see like city sized transformers and electricity bins. For We're talking for like si- skyscrapers. Yeah. And when I say the homes are spread, I'm saying we maybe saw eight homes and there's it, it, no one will ever convince me. Oh, that's just how it works. We have friends that are linemen. I've discussed this with them that it doesn't make sense. What we saw on this mountain does not make sense. No. And as we, we get in, again, go back and, and just listen to the whole episode. Cause it gets insane. It ends with us at a ranch that on paper doesn't exist. It's nope. not, it's not a real place. And it's shortly after that, I did the dumbs episode for YouTube. And one of the first episodes I do, or I'm sorry, one of the first bits of research I dive into are hidden mountain bases in North Carolina. Yep. And then all, and this is right, you know, this is post tell so that I'm thinking, okay, well the, the hell you're literally opens with them in North Carolina, but near flat rock, I think. Yep where an alleged alien cave base is. And all I'm thinking is, you know, and again, we, we went to Max Patch way before I knew what Hellier was. No, we went to Max Patch when we, when we first met. I mean, it's been, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, but all I could think of is, and this is the two things I'll say about Max Patch, is something more is happening up there than what people know of, and I will not go back. I don't even think I could get us back there. We went at you, night. Yeah, and we went a different route than you had gone because you've been there the winter before with some friends. And I I mean, I'd been to Max Patch more than just that. I've taken school field trips up there. I've been up to Purchase Knob, which was an entire research center that literally sells like truffles. They they it's one of the very rare places that can cultivate truffles. Um like the really expensive mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. Um I've been up there. I mean, I've been through these 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 roads before. And I, I hadn't, it all looked different. Yeah. It didn't make sense. It, it, it really did feel like we went somewhere else. Like it just felt like we were no longer North Carolina, but we were, so we were on this mountain. And like I said, it, we, we, we talk about gut feelings, just knowing when something is wrong, when something is not 
happening that it sh- that, that should be happening or vice versa. In this place, as we, the, it was the, it was about the third house we passed that I realized, man, these are some rundown houses with some brand new vehicles. Man, these are twenty twenty like brand new off the showroom floor vehicles. There wasn't a single light on except for one house. One single house. No porch lights. No uh, walkway lights, which are very common in that area because oh, yeah. it's dark. Like it, when the lights are off, it's off. It's like Eastern Kentucky. And there was an absence of wildlife. Yep. And it was just weird. Because, no, no crickets, no bugs, yeah. no owls. And no. as we're driving up, we saw rabbits. We saw all kinds of wildlife on the side of the road. We, we hit this one portion. It all went away. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, there's something happening up there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch. I'm, I, I, I try and find logic in everything, but I, I cannot explain what's happening up there, but you can just, it's, it's like we talked about these like mystical places when you go to and you can feel the magical energy. You went to this place and you knew something's wrong. Something is definitely wrong and we shouldn't be here. Well, not only that, and the last point that I'll add to it, we talk about one way roads. If we were up there and weren't supposed to be like, if we ran into something, there was nowhere for us to go. And no one to come help. And, there and was no zero one. Zero cell service. Zero cell service. There was nothing we could do to get out of that situation because it was a gravel road. One side was the side of a mountain. One side was a cliff. And there was nowhere we could turn around at. But moving on to cryptids. I'm going to talk about two that I've never heard of before. And then I'm actually going to get into uh, a couple of my friends' stories about some things that are in the area. And then we're going to end it off with... Uh, one that should hit home for a few people, including you. So, Oh, you have my interest. Yeah. So I'm going to add in a disclaimer. I know we've talked about this in previous episodes. Bigfoot we don't usually cover um, unless there's a specific different variant or a yeah. specific named Bigfoot. Something that sets it apart from the typical Squatch. Yes. And the only thing I'm going to say about Bigfoot, I have said this in other regular episodes as well, Bigfoot was accepted as fact where I grew up. Like, I mean, if if you, someone told you they saw Bigfoot, you said thank you for them telling yeah, you. Yeah, it was, it was, you told me that. You're like, yeah, it's like if you saw a brown bear. Like, oh, be careful up there. There's, there's a squatch. And you're, I'm like, you are, you're full of crap. And then the more I got to know about the area, I'm like, oh. And you interacted with people in yeah, the area. I'm like, oh, this is real. This is actually real. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not telling a tall tale there. Like, that's li- literally like, I didn't question it growing up. I have another disclaimer for everybody. I have to apologize. I did not vet Brittany's stories again this week. And I am not guaranteeing there's not a ghost camel that'll make an appearance. So with that, what do you got for us? So the first one we're going to start off with is the Santer. And this is a feline-like creature that's seen in Western North Carolina. Um, It's been referred to as the Wampus as well. And the origin of this creature likely came from the tales of Lumberjack in the 19th and earliest 20th century. I love Wampus Cat. Have you seen the meme, Wampus Cat? I'll show you later. Wampus Cat is a hilarious cryptid that I did not know was North Carolina. So that's actually a really like pleasant surprise. So one of the first sightings that it was seen in North Carolina was in uh, 1890. And it's, here's its description. It's said to have a long body covered with reddish, sometimes gray hair. Its head is large and bald with small eyes, and it also has long legs and a tail that has eight hard knots in it. And it makes him look like a string of beads. It can swing its tail with plenty of power and skill, enough to knock out a cow or a hog with one slap. 
and this tail can be used effectively in combat as well. There's a story of the wampus cat. Um, there was a guy that was haunt, um, hunting on like land he shouldn't have been. It was some kind of like protected tribal land. And the wampus cat came up behind him and knocked him unconscious with his tail. And then the, uh, the, the native law enforcement came and arrested him for hunting on their land. Good. Good job, wampus cat. But anyway, it lives mostly in wooded swamps in the neighborhood of small villages where cattle and hogs are kept. It is an, a remarkably fast animal, but is rarely seen. And its cry is piercing and has like a baby-like wail to it. It causes dogs to be disoriented and not to be able to attack. That So that, that right there, that's what I remember about wampus cat's history is its cry is actually what got it separated from other big cats that have been spotted in North Carolina because there have been some cries that have been, you know, alleged wampus cat cries that have been recorded. And we got bobcats too, though. Yeah, but when they've been compared to bobcats and even the uh, the puma and the panther that have been spotted. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Western North Carolina, it's not even remotely close. Mm. So people have used that as like a definitive, this is not one of these cats that we're aware of. Gotcha. Okay, so... Let's go into one of the reports. Uh, it was first reported on September 4th, 19, or 1890, um, an issue of Statesville Landmark. Now, this is kind of controversial. Uh, there, this, this paper in particular had some allegations of making stuff up, um, whether that be for clout back then or whatever. Yeah, or just to sell papers. I mean, at, again, we've talked about this with that part of the country. Newspapers were rare, especially at this uh, time in history. So they had to be as interesting as possible to get someone to pay because if not, you could just go talk to, Oh, well, Miss Brittany lives up the corner. She'll tell us the drama of the day. She'll tell us the whole story. Why, why do I need a paper? I can go to church and hear every bad thing that's happened to everyone in this town ever. True. That's still true in modern day. Yeah. A police officer by the name of Mr. Fettel claimed to have shot at it while it was after a dog. Its tracks were said to have been seen the next morning. The Santa had also allegedly eaten seven pigs and 15 cows. A hunting party was made to catch the creature, but it was neither seen nor heard. However, its tracks were found and said to have been eight inches long and four inches wide. 
Its hind tracks are said to be similar to a bear's. That's a big cat. It's a big cat. So uh, we go into another sighting. On March 17, 1897, the Santa was sighted at Roaring River, where it was allegedly eating the cats around the area. On May 5, 1897, um, the Santa of this area was suggested to be an escaped lynx from a circus that was exhibited uh, the year prior. Why is it in the South that when something weird is happening, it's, the, always, it's the always the circus? They tried to explain this with escaped circus monkeys were attacking the uh, the Sutton farmhouse yep. over in Kelly. Yep. So uh, in regards to the actual, like some people say it's feline, but some people say it's not. There's actually some debate on what type of animal this is. Okay. But um, that's basically all I have for the, the center. I didn't really, I've never heard of it before. And I knew that we have a lot of big cats in North Carolina. So I just thought that was interesting. And, and the depiction of it is, is, Almost has like a mouse-like face, so but with a long body. Where a lot of arguments came from, there was a Cartoon Network show. It might have been Adventure Time or one. It was another animated show that came around about that time that had a Wampus Cat episode or a character in it. And people took the cartoon animated Wampus Cat and applied that to places like the Cryptid Wiki. And then people began accepting it as fact. And I think that's where a lot of the debate about Wampus Cat comes from. That's where a lot of the memes come from is because it's like direct evidence of art imitating life and then life imitating art because people believed this animation. I mean, y'all are all wrong. This is actually just an escape Pokemon. So it's actually an escape Pokemon. I don't know what you're talking about. This is clearly from the local zoo. The circus, has, the circus has nothing on the local zoo. Yeah, so the local zoo is actually on top of a weather balloon. You need to go and listen to the Air Force today. <laughs> right now. Right dude. now. We just got a letter via owl. I'm actually hired. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so what else do you got for us? So I actually have another cr- cat-like creature. It's called the Beast of Bladenboro. Um, Bladenboro was actually, um, I believe, a small village, but it was happened in Clarkton, North Carolina, and also happened in Bladenboro, North Carolina. Interesting. Um, it refers to a creature who was responsible for a string of deaths in this area um, for animals in the winter of 53 to 54, 1953 to 54. According to witnesses and trackers, it was likely a wildcat, but its identity was ultimately not definitively confirmed. According to the reports, the animal commonly crushed or decapitated its victims, which were mostly dogs. That is brutal. So I don't really want to talk about the um, actual stories. Yes, it's sad. Like, it's very sad. These owners are are very upset or were very upset about how this went down. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about its description. Okay. One local described the animal as about four and a half feet long. And uh, bushy and resembling either a bear or a panther. While another person described it as small and noted there was a little one just like it running beside it. Another local described as hearing a strange noise like a baby crying. Now that right there is interesting. The baby crying because, you know, everyone take your shot. John Keel described at length that being one of the direct indicators of high strangeness and weirdness occurring. Though he did not see the animal, he estimated it was close to 150 pounds just the way it went through bushes. Okay, that makes sense. Another account detailed in a local newspaper contained the following physical description. It was about 20 inches high. It had a long tail, about 14 inches. 
The color of it was dark and it had a face exactly like a cat. Only I ain't never seen a cat that big. It was just walking around stealthy and sneaky. See, now I could see locals saying, oh, this is a puma. This is a, a local cat that is sighted all over North Carolina. But from what the brief description you gave us, the display of vulgar violence does not sound like any of those creatures that we are aware of. I mean, the, the crushed skull, the decapitation, I, I don't know of very many animals in general that have the strength to do that. Because when, when I imagine dogs in North Carolina, I don't think like your chihuahua that you brought up here. I don't think of you know, little baby dogs. I think big hound dogs or mastiffs that are large animals that can be used for hunting, tracking, and survival. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, there ended up being an animal that was hit by a car. They had hunts to try and track down this animal. Uh, the animal that was hit by a car uh, by a local farmer, uh, they actually said it was spotted like a leopard. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, a guy named Bruce Souls from Tabor City was leaving Bladenboro when he hit a cat with his vehicle. It was spotted like, like a leopard about 20 to 24 inches high and weighed between 70 and 90 pounds. He took wow. the cat home with him to Tabor City. Okay. That that dude went home and stuffed that cat, and right now it's in his great-grandson's house, and his wife is telling him to get rid of it. I can guarantee you that would ha- that's what happened. So, and then another, uh, basically they had a bunch of cats, different types of cats, panthers, bobcats, that yeah. they ended up either trapping, they found in, like, bear traps that they killed to try and find this thing. Um, but ultimately, it the death stopped, but there wasn't really an answer for why this, this creature was a little on the weird side when it came to the different types of cats. That is really wild. I, I love these like weird one-off stories that happened for six, seven years and then just stopped. Yeah. It's not like Bigfoot who's, I gotta be in the spotlight for a good 60, 70 years. Like no six, seven years. I'll kill some dogs and I'm out of here. I got my, I got what I wanted. Exactly. You guys know who I am. You're never going to second guess my authority again in this part of North Carolina. Don't make me come back. Whereas Bigfoot's like, oh, every couple months I'm going to pop up. Just make sure you guys know I'm still here. Yeah, well, I'm Bigfoot. Bigfoot is the needy ex-girlfriend of the cryptid world. 100%. So let's get into a couple of firsthand accounts that I got from some of my girls from down in North Carolina. I'm excited for these because as you were getting them, we were on the couch downstairs looking at me like, I got some good, good stories for this this week. And I'm like... From who? You're like, the girls. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. all right, let's see, let's see what we got going. So uh, two of the girls I'm still friends with, I'm in, I, I've known them for years. Um, they actually grew up on the res, uh, the reservation over in Cherokee. And um, they are part Native American as well as their family. Um, so they they know they know some stuff. They, they know some stuff when it comes to some weirdness that's happening in the mountains. So... I mean, I have one, I'll call, they're both A, so I'll call A1, A2. Okay. So A1 story. So literally all I remember is there was a screaming noise outside and I looked outside when I lived in Crabtree when I was like six or seven and I thought I saw a weird looking mountain lion and my granny just looked at me and was like, oh, it's just a mountain lion. But then I remember her calling my aunt and telling her not to let anyone out of the house because she wasn't sure what was out there, but she didn't think it was any sort of animal. I do remember the mountain lion being hella palish and white colored. So that's a one story. Uh, So let's dive into a two story and then give a little background as well. Okay, perfect. 
Do you have anything to say about that? The pale mountain. So what's interesting about that is when I did the ABC video, the alien big cat video on YouTube, this is early, early in the YouTube. It's, Oh, by the way, if you guys want to go to YouTube, I put everything in a playlist by cryptids, conspiracies, all that kind of stuff. So it's easier to find the topic you want to listen to. Yeah. But I did an alien big cat video and there was one, this is in Yorkshire, England, I believe mm-hmm. there was a large white cat that was spotted and it was literally like uh, people were shooting. They were out hunting. They would injure an animal and this cat would take down the animal and then take it away from the hunters. Oh my God. So that's really, really interesting. So let's go on to A2's story. I remember when I lived in Cherokee on the res, my cousins and I would try to sneak out at night. My uncle next door would uh, would always know, and he would hide and jump scare us when we would pass his house to make us run back home. I didn't know it at the time, but he told me years later that he didn't want the kids to wander around the mountain because you never knew what you were passing. What you would think would be deers or bears would be something else. Never saw anything else myself, though. So, I mean, that's clearly talking about, like, skinwalkers and stuff, right? Yes. So, that's actually what we're going to get. They gave a little background of what they heard growing up. So, okay. that's why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to touch on skinwalkers. I know we've addressed that before. I've actually gotten this from them and their grandparents, and I've heard this from them directly. So, we're going to talk about skinwalkers a little bit here. Okay, perfect. I think skinwalkers were adopted by the Navajo Nation, but Cherokee Nation don't talk about it out loud. They just close the doors and windows and go about their business. That's the one reoccurring thing that I know is it, you don't talk about it. Because if you talk about it, you're inviting it. You don't to want you. to potentially welcome it into your home. Exactly. They used to be of Native Nation before they took a turn. A1 said, I remember my granny told me not to go outside and not to, uh, to look outside and not to go outside and stay away from the doors. I had to, and then A1 uh, sent a book, and I'll read the title of the book, which is very interesting, that her granny gave her this book. Um, And I said, did it sound like anything? I was asking A1. She said, to me, it sounded like a little girl screaming, but I was also pretty young. Yeah. So then A2 talked about the the skinwalker subject and said they used to be like people, so they copy sounds of other people. It's to lure you in. I also remember A1 said, I also remember my granny asking if any of the kids were outside when she called my aunt, making sure everyone was safe in that story. That's very interesting. A2 said they used to be medicine men who took a turn on the darker side of healing. They were basically witches, which isn't a good thing in the nations. They could take you acknowledging them as a window to come to you. That's why it's important to close everything and avoid acknowledging it again. For some people, it could literally be a call for help or for younger children, a friend who could get hurt. It's said that skinwalkers know what you are talking about them. And at this point, they all, they both agreed to burn sage because they didn't feel comfortable (laughs) talking about it anymore. Okay. Um, But the book that a one was actually given by her grandmother is called Cherokee history, myths and sacred formulas by James Mooney. And so I'm actually going to pick that up. Yeah, that's First off, thank you for both of them because we have been we we really dance around a lot of the Native American lore and the stories and the legends. I've heard a lot of this growing up, but I don't I didn't hear it from my grandmother, if that makes sense. So I I have to be very careful about what I say. Yeah, because we both want to be respectful. We also don't want to get it wrong because there are so many people who have just assumed they know they assume they know or they jump on it because it makes money because it's it's a terrifying story that sells and con you know, horror content sells. So I really appreciate them like having this conversation conversation with us. And that's, 
it's so wild because when we apply what the Native Americans know and knew, like just the skin markers, let's just discuss them luring people in. We apply that to what John Keel and, and Gray Barker and all of them were doing back in the day when they were consistently noting we would hear these cries for help in the woods or a baby would be crying. And if we're talking about Hellier, these little notations consistently keep popping up across the entire paranormal landscape. And this is why people like myself are having a harder time as we get older and we discover more and we read more and research more. It's getting harder and harder to say it's not all connected. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So I, I love that. So what are you, what are we ending on? You, you kind of, you gave me a little bit of bait there and I'm ta- I'm taking the bite. I got to know what, what, what were you referencing earlier? The moon eyed people. Did we, we didn't do an episode on this, did we? I think we have, I think we've talked about them, but I want to bring them up again. I, this is the thing about the moon eyed people. I know Matthew is, again, this is one of his passions. So I wish we could have him here with us in the room to, to tell us what he knows. Cause I'm sure he knows everything. Cause it's Matthew and he knows everything. I know about moon-eyed people. It is a sensitive topic among cryptid fanatics across the board because they say that these aren't cryptids at all. They don't match the uh, criteria of being a cryptid, and then some say it absolutely does, and it's like a full-on fight when when these folks get brought up. Well, I'm going to – I am going to bring my personal opinion into this because I actually – I don't remember if I talked about this when we talked about moon-eyed children, moon-eyed people before. I had a presenter come to my middle school and she actually wrote uh, native American uh, folklore books and, okay. and she spent a lot of time on the reservation and things like that. And moon eyed people was something that she actually talked about in school. See when I was in school, we had like strong men for Jesus come through. Oh God. It, yeah. We had that crap. Oh no. I, I, I would kill for, for them to be like, Hey, today we're gonna have a local folklore expert come through you're going to learn about the Ohio grass, man. I would have paid attention. I don't want to see this dude who's clearly on steroids for Jesus ripping <laughs> a phone book. Okay. So I'm going to start with what I remember being told about these. And again, we've done some research on this as well, especially because we talked about it in another episode. Well, it's coming back to me. The reason we discussed this is because there are, there's a select group of folks who think that the reason that in West Virginia, the Point Pleasant area that Native Americans did not did not settle was because they had an agreement with the Moon-eyed people of West Virginia. So they were there first. According to some of the articles I've seen, there's actually been small mounds found in Western North Carolina that were actually small little like hobbit holes that had actual like silverware and things in it. Really? Small like pottery like dishes and silverware found. Now I have not seen any pictures of that. I, I cannot validate that, but here's what I remember about the moon eye people. Moon eye people were here before the native Americans settled native Americans settled in, in North America. Uh, even before as we knew it today, way before any, I'm just going to say the white man came over. Yeah. The discovery of the quote unquote discovery. Native Americans were already here, but when native Americans came here, it said that the moon eyed people had already been residing in this area in Western North Carolina and that they lived in homes and they only came like these small mounds and they only came out at night. And that's why they got the nickname moon eyed people. Because the, the sunlight bothered their eyes. Yes, if I, if I because they were correctly. very pale. That's right. That's right. And they had blue eyes. And uh, I mean, genetically, even in humans, blue eyes have a lot of sunlight problems. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> so 
these Moon Eye people were already here. They already inhabited the land. And they actually, from what I remember, they're, they actually joined together at some point and actually co- like coexisted together. Yeah, like a small community. Uh, but then when the settlers came over, they actually left and went into hiding. And they were known as cave dwellers of, of North Carolina. Um, they lived in caves. And this is kind of where it ties into a lot of the goblin-esque talks that we had. Oh, man. Okay. I, I just got chills thinking about what if what if the Hopkinsville goblins are actually the moon-eyed, are just the moon-eyed people? Yeah. I mean, the cave system is huge for the mammoth cave system. So, uh, But they were described as short, white, fat, and blue-eyed. Okay. So anyway, um, they would only come out during nighttime. They interacted with the Native Americans. They left when the settlers came. There has been debate about if the Native Americans actually stayed away from West Virginia or not. We were told that that was wrong, but I don't 100% trust that that's actually accurate. So so that's that's the problem, right? Is there is there's little evidence to support prolonged communities in West Virginia. They passed through. They used it as trading and hunting routes. They never settled. Settled. But that's the problem is some newer books. And this is, this is what I have to say since my Mothman infatuation became a thing. The chief cornstalk story has inspired people to fabricate bits and pieces of his story, let alone the entire history of native Americans in the state of West Virginia and books written past a certain year. I, I actually talked to Andy Colvin about this. Um, as strange as that guy ended up being, that there are certain people out there who are trying to rewrite the history of the Mothman and of West Virginia folklore as a whole, because it just doesn't sell. No one wants to go to a place. If the natives knew not to be there, why would we want to go there? Yeah. And so he, he, he had the idea that this is being pushed by big book and it's hilarious because he used that term in a completely unknown way of our big book that we know, <laughs> that we know and hate here. At no, it's, but he had a point saying, if you look back in history, there'll be a certain year where all of a sudden there's a ton of history of Native Americans settling in, in West Virginia. But it just came out of nowhere. And the authors hadn't written books about this previously. And it was, I it, hate that. And it's very odd. And again, I, I can't definitively say this because I don't know enough about it. But I will say that the moon eyed people of West Virginia is one of the most popular folk stories and tales told in that state especially the more rural parts of West Virginia. So I know you referenced mounds and then living in like hobbit hole, like structures, the mound builders as a whole, the mounds of all basically North America in general, depending on what part of the country you are, are attributed to different groups of people. Are there any other structures that like can be seen today or anything like that? That, so there's Hawaii? actually a very famous um, rock structure that uh, rock carving that is just like a rounded two humanoid looking faces. Okay. Um, that is carved out and that, that it's called the moon eyed people, the structure. I mean, if I, I'll show you, you should recognize it. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've definitely seen this before. Yeah. It's actually in a museum now. And it said some people say it's actually been carved out by the moon eyed people. Um, so some people say it's the settlers that drove the Moon Eye people out, that they lived harmoniously with the Native Americans. Yes. Um, some people say there's also some allegations that uh, Native Americans in Georgia allegedly attacked the Moon Eye people during a very bright full moon. So it was almost as bright as day. So they 
were defenseless, basically, and, and drove them away. And then some people also say that Cherokee Nation actually drove them towards Tennessee and kicked them out. So I don't know. It's a very interesting aspect of culture, to say well, the least. Because, I mean, that's the thing is we're taught in school the Native Americans were here first. And when you pose that idea of well, what if there was a group of people before them? Well, it depends on who you talk to about them technically that's, being okay, here that, first. That's fair. Depends yeah. on where you were, where you were brought up. But yeah, yeah they, they were here before, before they came over and quote, quote discovered. So I, I love this. I love this episode. I, this has got to be, this is the longest United strangest episode we've ever done. And, and I love it. I've had such a great time, but before we go, is there anything else you want to add? Any stories, anything from your childhood that you have to put in? Like we know Duke is puke. We know that we're going to get a t-shirt says Duke is puke tales from the dark says so. We understand. Is there any other departing knowledge about North Carolina that you want to pass on apart from Asheville's a terrible place, Biltmore's terrible and scary, Duke is puke? <laughs> um, no, not really. Just, you know, if this ends up turning into, you know, you guys are looking for high strangeness in this area, just please be careful. Um, Pisgah National Forest, Great Smoky Mountains National Forest, they have a lot of interesting areas. Yeah. But when you get into the hollers, uh, especially like from where my family's from, just don't. There's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness, but there's also a lot of drugs yeah, and there's and, a lot of poverty. And don't think you can go there and say, look, I know that your kin is a famous podcast host. You're letting me in your holler. They'll probably shoot you just for saying my last name. You'll die. So just don't do that. So with that being said, Miss Brittany, thank you so much for all the insight. I couldn't have done this episode without you and done it to this caliber. So seriously, thank you for all the, uh, the childhood stories and having to think back on times that weren't always as great. And with that being said, I think we're gonna have to add this episode of United Strangers of America, North Carolina, the Tar Heel state Duke is puke to our never ending, but are always growing tales from the dark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. Day to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.